So good to see all of you. So good to be back in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. Just so good. So good. Uh, I've got my message set here, but before I get to that, I just want to, the Lord put a, a scripture on my heart and I just want to read this to you before we get going. This is First uh, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, 17 through 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has, been not, has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Well, wow, there's a lot in that one little chapter there, one little paragraph, I should say, three verses. Perfect love casts out fear. Let me just, let me just stop for a moment. Before I even get to my message this morning, I want to encourage you, do not live in a place of fear. We cannot, as Christians, we cannot, we will not live, we will not live successfully from a place of fear. It won't happen. When we live and we move and we react to fear in our lives, we are playing the enemy's game. We're living what the enemy wants us to do. And so anytime we live from a place of fear, we're, we're, we're bowing down and we're giving power back to the enemy from which we've been delivered. Don't get me started. I, you got me started. Jesus got me started this morning. We cannot live from a place of fear. Listen, we need to live from a place of faith. Faith and fear are opposites. We either live by faith or we live by fear. Now, faith is, there's faith, foolishness, and presumption. And foolishness and presumption aren't faith. But to live from fear, we, we, we play into the enemy's hand. Uh, as you know, I read all, I do a lot of reading. And so I read a book this week and the author was talking about, uh, he, he put it in terms of a football game. And I just want to give you this analogy because it became so real for me. I'm a football guy, right? Put it in, in terms of, I, I watch football. I don't play football. I'm, I don't have that skill level. And so he, he said it like this. He says, imagine if you will, as a Christian, you are on the offense and you are on the field and you have the ball. And this is what Jesus has accomplished for us. We're on the field, we're on the offense, and we have the ball. This is what Jesus accomplished through the cross, through the resurrection, and through the delivering of his Holy Spirit. He accomplished that for us. We are the offense. And so we're set up, we're ready to go. The coach calls in the play. I'm the quarterback and I'm hearing, okay, this is what the coach wants us to do. And I look up, you guys see this on the TV. You guys watch a little bit of football, hopefully a little bit. And, and you, you look up and the, the quarterback, they're in the formation. The quarterback looks and he sees the defense and he's like, oh, time out. And he's like, coach, you got to send the defense in because they're planning something tricky. And we take the offense off the field. We're no longer even in the offensive. And this is what happens when we live from a place of fear. We can't do it. We, can, we must refuse. I know it was 2217, I think it was, is no fear was our motto. Well, no fear needs to be our life motto. No fear needs perfect love. And this, this leads perfectly into today's message. Know him. Perfect love. When we're filled with the perfect love of Christ, it casts out all fear. Now, it doesn't mean that we should do foolish things 
with faith, right? And so uh, a couple weeks ago, we had to cancel church here on a Sunday. Uh, Someone within uh, the circle that I have within my life uh, tested positive for COVID. And so I was exposed uh, the worship team, uh, my, my family, you know my circle, my family, my kids, uh, they were exposed. And so no one else tested positive, just that one person. But, you know, in, to be wise, we canceled. We weren't fearful in canceling. This was just the right thing to do. Uh, people are getting this all over. Christians are getting this. Pa- uh, uh, prophets are dying. So we need to be careful. We need to be wise about this. But we, never, we can never cross the line to become fearful. Amen? Amen. So uh, just like many of you, if you are sick, we say this every time that we send out the the reservation emails. If you're sick, stay home. We want to do everything that we can to not spread this, uh, but we're so glad to be here today. All right. Praise the Lord. That was good. One one additional point. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm going to leave you with it, and then you will visit this again in a couple weeks. It says, I read 1 John 4, 17 through 19. It says, as he is, so are we in this world. Did you guys, did you guys hear that? Hold on, let me get this a little bit better. Oh, okay, there we go. Did you hear that? As he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Not as he was, not as he's going, as he is. How is he? How is he right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. All power and authority has been given to him. And as he is, he in that resurrection, supernatural, all-powerful situation, as he is, so are we. We'll come back to that some other week. That's good. All right. So today's message is entitled, Know Him. And uh, if for those of you that don't, don't know, that's part of our vision here. Our vision here is engage God, engage church, engage culture, engage God, engage church, engage culture. And part of engaging God, part of the way that we engage God is by knowing him. And so we need to know God. And as we know God more deeply, we engage him better. And the better we know him, the better we engage him. Engaging is about connecting on a deep and an intimate level. And and this is what knowing him is all about. When I first got saved uh, in 1992, uh, Pastor Carter was the pastor of the church here. The vision of the church was to know the Lord and to make him known. And so how is it that I remember that? Because it meant something to me. It was very important to me. And so I want to share with you today the first two scriptures I ever memorized. And so I was saved in May, June of 92. In August, of that year, I went to college, Cobleskill, uh, and computers were just catching on back then. And so one of the courses that I had to take at college was a, cor- a course called Word Perfect. <laughs> and so, you know, we had to type up different things. And so learning the computer, all of a sudden, you know, I'm reading my Bible more. Uh, I had just gotten... Uh, so when I got saved, I would, someone gave me a Bible. Pastor Steve handed it to me. It was a, hard, a red hardcover King James version. He doesn't even remember that. And so he handed me that Bible. Later that same year, before I left for college, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, bought me, my, bought me a Bible. It was a leather-bound Bible, and it was a parallel edition. It was NIV 
and King James side by side. See, most of us that have our leather bounds today, we just have a single version because we all have U version on our phones and we can compare 25 scriptures all at once. We just hit the compare button and it's like, boom, it pops up. And so a uh, lot less, prob- I would imagine that they sell a lot less parallel editions today than they did back then. Anyways, off I go to college, right? Read, one of the things that church instructed me when I first got saved was read your word. I was all set to do that. Somebody recommended, hey, say, hey, listen, you know, start with the gospel of John. It's a great place to start. That's a great idea, but my name's Matthew. And so I'm going to start in the gospel of Matthew. And actually, uh, my Bible, my very first Bible, which I still have, I keep it in, a, in one of those uh, Bible covers because it, it really uh, got used up. It broke at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The pages fell out there. And uh, Pastor Paul put that back together for me. So thank the Lord I still have it. But it broke at 5, 6, and 7 because I had read that portion of Scripture so much. And if you don't know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Christianity 101. This is where you need to start. And so the first two scriptures that I ever memorized were in Matthew chapter 7. It's funny, I read through 5 and 6, and when I get to 7, actually started in 1, but when I get to 7, something jumped out at me, and I said, wow, look at that, and here's the first scripture. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the path, and broad is the way which leads to destruction, and many are they who enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few are they that find it. Now, though, for those of you that are reading along as I'm quoting the scripture to you, I didn't read it off my notes, I quoted it. But I memorized it in the NIV, and this is New King James, so it's just a little bit different, but it has the same meaning. And the interesting thing about this scripture is that secular music has caught on to this same idea. There's a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven. There's a highway to hell and a stairway to heaven. Hey guys, we've got a thousand mile journey. Who wants to take the staircase? Nobody raised their hand, not one person. Who wants to go on the highway? I'm assuming that's the rest of you. We all want to take the easy way. But scripture says there's a great big wide gate going to hell, and there's a whole bunch of people going through it. And there is a very small, narrow path. Narrow. And the Greek word, uh, the Greek word there actually means a hard or a difficult way, which leads to life, and few are they that find it. And so here Jesus is talking about heaven and hell. And so anytime you hear someone, preacher, talking about the fact that there's no hell, we have to say, hey, what gives? Jesus said there was. Here's the second scripture that I memorized. And so this one kind of caught me off guard. And, and, I, and I really wrestled with it for a bit. Matthew 7, 21, it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And so when I first read this scripture 29 years ago, I, I, was, I struggled with it. And I was like, man, this scripture jumped right out at me. And I said, look at this. These guys uh, are casting out demons. They're, they're prophesying. They're doing many wonders. And Jesus is still saying, nah, that's not it. 
and I, was, and I was baffled. I'm like, how can this be? What chance do I have of getting into heaven? And so years later, I would realize that these people that are saying this to Jesus have to be lying. They have to be lying to Jesus because we read the account in the book of Acts where the, the one guy goes to cast out the demons and he, he, he says this, he says, in the name of Jesus of whom Paul prophesies, I command you to go. And the demon responds to the man and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the demon jumps on the man and beats him up. Right, And so we understand from that scripture that it's impossible to cast out demons without knowing Jesus. Can't do it. And so these people didn't know him. Jesus said, I never knew you. They're lying to him. And so it all comes back to this knowing God. Do we know God? Are we are we spending the time? Are we going deep? Are we, are we really getting private time, intimate time, this time alone with God? How much time are we spending with God? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here in the midst of us. It's right here for your taking. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is spiritual things, not natural things. And so we can live from the kingdom of heaven. We can live from the place of the spiritual realm of heaven if we will engage God in that place. But the question becomes, do we spend more time working on things in the natural, or do we spend more time working on things in the spiritual? Do we spend more time dwelling on getting things right just so in the natural, or do we spend more time really pressing in so that things in the spiritual and we live from that place? When we live from a place of the spirit, we have rule and reign over things in the natural. Jesus lived from this place of the spirit and everywhere he walked, everything he did, he changed the atmosphere where he walked and things in the natural responded. Because Jesus prayed in the spiritual, blind eyes were open. Because Jesus prayed in the spiritual, deaf ears heard, mute spoke, dead were raised to life again. All of these things in the natural occurred because Jesus lived from a place of the spiritual and behaved and acted in the place of the spirit. But we can't do it in our own strength. This isn't, living from the Spirit isn't something that we choose to do and we say, yeah, I'm going to do this. And, and we build muscles like we build muscles. We have to spend time with God. It's the only way to build our spiritual muscle is to spend time with Him. It's to get alone with Him in the secret place. And so this scripture became very real to me 29 years ago. And the key here is, I never knew you. And so this is, a, this is a scripture that we see. This is a term that Jesus uses again and again throughout scripture. Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. Five, five come in and Jesus welcomes them. Five come later because they didn't have any oil. And Jesus says, what did he say? Did he say, you're too late? No, that's not what he said. Did he say, what, you didn't have any oil? That's not what he said. He said, I never knew you. He tells the five virgins that can't get in, I never knew you. 
book of Revelation, chapters two through four, we read about the seven churches. And every time he talks to one of the seven churches, he says, I know your works. I know that you're this. I know that you're that. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Repent and do the things that you did at first. It all comes back to this knowing God. John 10, 14 says this. It says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am known. I know my sheep and am known by my own. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. And so as we love God, we become known by God. When we know Jesus, it's not just knowing something about him. It's not just knowing, you know, uh, a, a few scriptures. It's literally knowing his character. What would Jesus think? What would Jesus want? What would Jesus do? And suddenly, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to say anything that's going to upset him. I live my life in such a way that everything I do becomes pleasing to God because I know him, he knows me, and I have this realization. Suddenly now I'm aware that he has everything that I need, just like we sang in the song. All of my sufficiency comes from him. All of the life that I have, that I need, everything that I need comes from him. And I don't want to do up anything. I don't want to do anything that's going to mess up me getting more from him. And it's not that, well, I guess it is. I I was going to say, it's not that I I just want what he has, but I do. I want what he has, but what, what he has that I want is his presence. And what, I ha- what he has that I want is his presence. I don't, I don't care that if I ever work a miracle. I don't care that it, I pray for anybody and they ever get healed. That's not why, why I'm in this. I'm in this simply for the relationship of knowing him. If the only thing I get out of the equation is to know Christ, sign me up. That's all I need. All I need is to know him. Because in knowing him, perfect love, Jesus is the epitome of perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. When we walk with Jesus, when we know him, when we know him, no fear. Fear can't exist in that place. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy comes from, joy is an overflow of knowing God. When we know God to a point, joy just overflows out of our body. Righteousness just overflows out of us. Holiness just overflows out of us. Grace, kindness, all of these things, they just overflow out of who we are from a place of knowing him, from a place of being in this intimate relationship with him. Hebrews 10, 19, we're going to read through 21, says, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can come boldly and enter uh, the heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. 
And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Guys, listen, what? In the Old Testament, under the Old Testament law, the high priest one time of year went in behind the veil into the holies of holies. Imagine, if you will, this is the sanctuary, right? And there's a veil. Let's put the veil, like say the veil's right here, right? And the Ark of the Covenant sits here, right? The Ark of the Covenant, the box that contains the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, all that, right here. Here's the veil. And one time a year, after making very special sacrifices, the, the high priest would tie a rope around his ankle in case he dropped dead back there, they could pull him out and not have to risk their own life going in after him. This is the veil. This is the most holy place. The priest ties a rope around his ankle. (laughs) Hope you're right with God, buddy. And he walks behind the veil, into where the presence of God is. One time a year, one time, one time a year. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, let us come boldly into heaven's most holy place. Let us go right into the presence of God. Let's go right in. Forget about the rope. Come on. Now listen. Listen. We still want to live a holy life. As a matter of fact, we can't enter. It, when, Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil, which was as thick as a man's hand, this curtain, as thick of a man, as a man's hand, it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. They say that it would have taken 10,000 mules pulling in opposite directions to rip this thing in half. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, the power that was released, it ripped the veil in two. God was saying, I'm with you now. I'm with you now. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm with you now. And so let us go boldly into the presence of God. Guys, do, you want, do we understand Do we have any kind of a comprehension as to the gift that was been given to us? We can just go running right into the holy place, running right into the presence. And as we run in, we're going to be convicted of sin. We're going to be made holy. See, the rules are all changed. The rules are all changed. We don't have to worry about dropping dead when we come into the presence of God. We come into the presence of God and we're convicted of sin. This is incredible. Jesus, I'm so excited right now. The Holy Spirit, listen, I want to try and explain something. The Holy Spirit, Jesus came and he made, he did, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then he delivered. He said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. 
right? Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we need to walk in this. We need to flow in this, but we can only get it one place. We only get it from fellowshipping with him. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, comes in us. The Holy Spirit comes in us at salvation, right? How many, Jesus, come and live inside my heart, right? We pray that prayer. The Holy Spirit comes in us at salvation, and that's for us. That's for my sanctification. That's for my justification. That's for my cleansing. That's for my, for me. That's for my holiness. That's for my restoration. That's all for me. But the Holy Spirit comes upon me so that I can minister and so that I can cause heaven to come to earth. The Holy Spirit comes upon me so that I can distribute more of God to everybody that I meet. The Holy Spirit's in me for me. The Holy Spirit's upon me for you. Look at Jesus. Jesus comes to the water to be baptized by John the Baptist. Did Jesus have the Holy Spirit in him when he came to the water to be baptized? Was Jesus saved? Could Jesus be saved? Heresy. But what we do see, just forget that whole track. I was just messing with some theologians here. What we do see is it says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove and rested upon him rested on him, rested on him. And so here's Jesus. He begins his ministry when, after the Holy Spirit came to rest upon him. What did he say to his disciples? He says, don't go yet. Previously, he had sent them out. They were operating underneath the authority of Jesus, but now Jesus has gone to heaven. We're living in a new day and a new dispensation. Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, until you receive the gift of the promise of my Father. Stay there until that happens because you're going to need it. And when it happens, they're launched out into ministry and they minister everywhere they go. They turn the entire world upside down, they say. Bible tells us. They turn the world upside down. Why? Because they had the Holy Spirit on them. And so there's two things, the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit on us. And the Holy Spirit comes on us, it's like a dove. And we have to be careful, church, listen, we have to be careful how we walk because the Holy Spirit, we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. How many of you have doves land in your yard? You've seen doves in your yard, right? How many of you have ever gone out and petted the dove because it likes to stay there in that place? You open the door and they're like, coo, 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 and they fly away. <laughs> the littlest thing that we do can cause the dove to fly away. The littlest thing that we do can cause the Holy Spirit to fly away. And so we have to live with intention that the Holy Spirit would remain. I don't ever want to say anything. I don't ever want to do anything that's going to cause the Holy Spirit to depart. Because then I got to go and get it back. And I don't know how, you know, I mean, I know how to do that, but it can sometimes be a long and involved process. I just want it to stay, and it will stay. It wants to stay. We watch the wrong thing or listen to the wrong thing, or, and the Holy Spirit's like, I'm out. And so we need to be very careful. We need to guard our, guard our hearts. The Holy Spirit upon you is for everyone. This isn't just for pastors. It's not just for the pastor. You know, part of... Part of what we see in 
American society, we've talked about this in the office today, is we have this thing of we just want to go and have somebody fix it for us. We just go and want to have somebody fix it for us. I don't want to have to do it myself. I don't want to have to eat healthy. Just give me a pill to fix whatever's wrong with me. And we never deal with the root issue that's causing us to be sick or unhealthy. I'm not talking about COVID. Just give me a pill so that I can keep living the way that I want to live without surrendering my life. I'm actually willing to give up certain freedoms because with certain pills come certain restrictions and certain side effects. And I'm all good with that. Just do it for me. I'm not, if you need pills, you need to take pills. I'm not saying that that's bad, but it develops a lifestyle within us where we're no longer willing to do it for ourselves. We're no longer willing to put in the work for ourselves. I'm only one person. God may be upon me, but I'm still only one person. I am not transcendent. Pastors are not transcendent. Only God is. The enemy's not transcendent either, by the way. That's right. Come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is transcendent. He's everywhere all the time, always. That means no matter where you go, God's always there. He's always listening. He's always involved in the process. Satan can't do that. He is not transcendent. He can only ever be in one place at one time. That, that right there, guys, is enough to send me over the edge and be like, there's no way the enemy can win. We know the enemy can't win. You guys are, come on. Come on, guys. It's good stuff. This is available to everyone. It's available to all of us. We all need to get in on the Holy Spirit. We all need to get the Holy Spirit into our lives on a daily basis. We all need to know him in such a fashion that what grieves his heart grieves my heart. When we try to preach the gospel or share the gospel with somebody, share Jesus with somebody in our own strength, the, the results generally won't be so good. But when we engage God and we understand 1 Peter 3, 9, and what it says, that God desires every man to be saved, desires all men to be saved. When that becomes our heart, and our heart is literally that we want to see everyone go to heaven. When that becomes my heart because it's God's heart, I'm going to, I'm going to share Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel in a much different fashion. And so it comes from knowing him. It comes back to knowing him. It always comes back to knowing him and knowing God, knowing who God is, knowing the fullness of who he is, is the most important thing we can do. And this is why the greatest commandment, Jesus said, that when, the, when, when he was asked, Jesus said, Jesus only answered three or four questions directly, 357 questions that were asked of Jesus in the Bible. He only answered three or four of them directly. And this was one of them, which is the greatest commandment in the Bible, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he didn't even, and the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on and he gives them extra. And there's a bonus. You ask me what the greatest is, I'll give you numbers one and two. There's a bonus for you. Why? Because that's it. This is where it begins and this is where it ends. If we're going to do anything without him, 
we're going to do it wrong. We're just going to do it wrong. And so this is great news and it's terrible news. It's great news because if we're with him and he's with us, we can't do anything wrong. But it's terrible news because if we try to do anything without him, we're going to screw it up. (laughs) We need to just know him deeply, intimately. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says this. He, he He starts to brag about himself. He's like, I've got great hair. I've got a fabulous wardrobe. My shoes are killer. My voice is very beautiful and you'd like to listen to it. And my face, I'm telling you, gorgeous. But all of these things that I once thought valuable, they're trash. They're literally garbage. And so this is what Paul's saying. I mean, I'm using different words than he used. He said he's a He's a seed of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee among Pharisees, uh, born of the, uh, circumcised the eighth day. Uh, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Paul is, just, Paul is saying this. He, did, he didn't throw away, you know, who he was. I'm not going to throw away my nice wardrobe. He's saying everything else is pretty much trash compared to the one thing of knowing Christ. It's that important. The most important thing you will do in your life is to know Jesus Christ. The most important thing you will ever accomplish in your lifetime If God gives you 120 years on the earth, although the average life expectancy is 78, if God gives you 120 years, the most important thing you will ever do is to know Christ. To know Christ. To know Christ. There are days when we come to church and we're in the midst of worship and I just get so happy the joy just begins to erupt out of me. I get so just stinking blessed. It's just amazing. But it flows from the fact of knowing him. It's not because I have a nice jacket or cool shoes or, you know, I get to speak on a Sunday. None of that. None of that. You could take all of that away. You could take, we could take all of that away. I'm still blessed and being in his presence, just the fact that I get to come here and be in the presence of God or be in the presence of God at home in our homes because we can't come to church because you guys are doing the right thing and staying home when you're sick. Just because I get to be in the presence of God, it's, it's, that's it guys. And it's such a hard thing to explain this presence of God. It's subjective to many, but when we dwell with him. When he fellowships with us and we fellowship with him, he comes in and he ministers to our soul. He said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. My yoke is light. My burden is easy. I'm messing it all up. That's what it says. One way or the other. Everything that we have to do becomes easy because Jesus is with us. 
He's guiding us. He's speaking with us. He's giving us what we need to do and accomplish as we step out to do it because he's given us those things to do. God has given us things to do since before the day that we were born. He has set in order things for you to do, things for me to do. And so we go out and we step out and we start to do those things. If we're doing the things that he's called us to do, it's very easy because he gives us the grace and the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge to do it. And when we're doing what he's asked us to do, when we're walking in his full will, it's complete and utter joy. But when we plan our own way and we leave the path of God and we try to do things by ourselves, it becomes impossible. Literally becomes impossible and we can't do stuff and it becomes drudgery and it's the worst and the burden is heavy. And if so, if you're over here and you're feeling like you can't go on, you're feeling like you're burdened, you're feeling like, you know, I just don't know how much more I can take. We need to get over here onto the path of Jesus because his yoke is light. His burden is easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I keep saying it backwards. And then I tried to fix it the first time and I didn't. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Joy, unending joy. And the joy doesn't come just because of James 1, 2, because we consider it pure joy. The joy comes because we're with him because we're with him, because we've fellowshiped with him. The joy comes the same way the peace comes. Jesus said to his disciples, when you enter a house, spread out the peace. You've got peace and just go in and distribute it. Where did they get it? They got it from him. They got it from him. How could they give it out? Because Jesus gave it to them. And they get what's been given to me, freely, freely you've been given, freely give. We use this scripture a lot of times talking about tithes and offerings, but really he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Freely you've been given the Holy Spirit, freely give the Holy Spirit. When you walk into a place, do your best to give it out. There's a kingdom principle that we only get to keep what we give away. And so if you want more of the Holy Spirit, start giving the Holy Spirit away everywhere you go. But you have to be in relationship with him. See, we have to be in relationship with him because we can't be trusted of ourselves. Who knows the heart of a man? We're deceitfully wicked. And so we can't be trusted in ourselves. And so when I, when I try to operate outside of the will of God, I'll do it wrong every time. But when I'm in relationship with him and I'm hearing the, the, the gentle leading of the father and he's saying, hey, go here and do this. Hey, go there and do that. Now... He can back me up with his Holy Spirit, miracle signs and wonders, because I'm doing what he's told me to do. It's good stuff. Listen, we're going to take communion here in just a second, but let's, let's just pause and let's just pray. Because this connection with God, this aspect of engaging God by knowing him, it's the most important thing that we will ever do and it is the most fun thing you will ever do. Those of you who are adrenaline junkies, you know, I don't know that we have any in here, but if you're an adrenaline junkie, the most exciting thing you will ever do is walk with God. It is exciting if we're doing it right. It's, it's the most fun you will ever have. It is the most joy that you will ever get in your heart connected with him. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we pray everyone here today God, that we in 2021, that we would know you, 
like we've never known you before. God, that you would give us the grace to be able to spend time in your presence, to uh, have a desire to read your word. God, a desire and a, and a drive to live holy, to live according to your commands, to complete all that you have for us. And God, that you would guide us and lead us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you've